he's a lop-eared rabbit, so he's actually he's actually all black, and he's got two big floppy ears. He's very sweet. He was inspiration to create a new relief ink color with Speedball that I've been yeah. working on. Welcome to the 58th episode of Pine Copper Lime, the internet's number one printmaking podcast. I'm your host, Miranda Metcalf. I release weekly podcasts with people in the print world doing something a bit beyond the expected. So please subscribe on your podcast listening app of choice. You can also find Pine Copper Lime on Instagram and Facebook. And you can sign up for our monthly newsletter with print news from around the world, all at pinecopperlime.com. We also have a Patreon page, where, if you like this show and you want to give a dollar or two each month, it keeps our spirits high and the lights on. Printmaking forever, shun the non-believers. This episode of Pine Copper Lime is brought to you by our sponsor, Speedball Art Products, who've been bringing a diverse range of high-quality products to your creative practice since 1997. Their newest exciting initiative is Speedball's Print Posse. Working with contemporary printmaking icons, Speedball has invited each artist to design and name an ink of their choosing. Artists like Anna Hasseltine, whose relief Hoppin' Holland Blue is inspired by the classic white and blue colors on Delft pottery, and of course, her Holland Lop, whose name just happens to be blue. The shade itself is a classic deep blue warmed by maybe the slightest hint of purple undertones. Shop at speedballart.com to find out where you can pick up a can of your new favorite ink. And my guest this week actually just happens to be Anna Hasseltine. We'll talk about animals in Anna's prints and the historical tradition of using flora and fauna as metaphor. Working with some of the biggest presses in the U.S. from Brandex Editions to Cannonball to Hoofprint. Her collaboration with Speedball to create her own ink. And how her ceramic and printmaking practices influence each other. Oh, and of course her rabbit blue. So, without further ado, sit back, relax, and prepare to hop to it with Anna Hasseltine. Hi, Anna. How's it going? Good. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for joining me. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to learning more about you and your work. I've definitely just kind of seen you around on the internet, um, making beautiful work in printmaking, but also ceramics as well. So I'm kind of excited to talk about that crossover. Yeah. But before we kind of get into all the meat and potatoes, can you please let people know who you are and where you are and what you do? Yeah, totally. Um, so my name is Anna Hasseltine, and um, I was born in Boston, Massachusetts, and that's where I grew up uh, pretty much till I was 18. And then I uh, went, I applied and went to Pratt Institute for college, and that's kind of where, um, and that's in New York City, and that's kind of where I got my start with 
really getting into printmaking and just deciding that this is like, this is what I wanted to do with my life. And, you know, I went, I was there for four years and afterwards I ended up in Chicago. So that's where I currently am. I've been in Chicago for about uh, five years. It'll be five years in December. Um, and I'm working with a couple of print shops out here as well as, you know, making my own work and uh, printmaking and ceramics. And so it's, yeah, it's been good so far. Yeah, excellent. So you were growing up in Boston. Were you someone who came from like an artistic family? Were you went to, taken to museums? How did you end up going to art school or knowing that that's the path you wanted to be on? Well, ever since I was super young, uh, my mom was, she was a stay-at-home mom, and she had actually gone to the University of New Hampshire as a painting major. So growing up, she would be painting, and um, she really got into pastels, and so I'd always see her making things, and she would always encourage my sister and I to be, we do all sorts of crafts and just making a mess all the time. Mm. Um, and, and I feel like just like, yeah, like from a very young age, learning how to build things and make things using my hands and not being afraid to get messy, I, I that just stuck with me. And throughout, ever since I was young, elementary school, middle school, I, I think from the beginning, I I wanted, I knew I wanted to do something with art. I, you know, I didn't know what field exactly I wanted to go into, but there was always something about the making and building and creating that just never, I'd never lost interest in it. And mm. that's where I am now. And yeah, growing up nearby was the Museum of Fine Arts in Boston, which has, I mean, a great collection. Uh, it's also got a museum school. When I was younger, I would take classes at the museum school right next door and they would take us over to the MFA and we'd get to, you know, go to all the painting exhibits. And they also have a really, really large printmaking department there. And I remember just looking at all the woodcuts and engravings and etching. So I feel like I had a pretty solid background growing up and it's just kind of inspired me to pursue that more in high school. And again, it was a great program uh, at my high school and I had very, a lot of encouragement from the teachers there and they really pushed me and, you know, made, made me realize that I could have a, you know, a full-time career and a life making art. And I just kept, kept going with it. Yeah. So were you kind of aware of what prints and printmaking more before you went to college and I sort of ask that because there's so many people that I chat with who say you know they never even knew what printmaking was or even that it was an option until they ended up you know in that college studio but it sounds like maybe you were exposed to that ahead of time yeah so I mean in high school I feel like a lot of People have, you know, lino cut. That was kind of the most accessible printmaking medium. I feel like for a lot of middle school, high school art classes, and so that's that's really my first introduction into it. So I had known probably a, you know, ninth or tenth grade. We started doing little with the with the easy cut um, from from Speedball, making little lino cut prints. Um, and then I remember one summer again, I'd been taking a lot of art classes and summer camps and. There was this one school, uh, it's called Leslie University, and they have, it's called the Art Institute of Boston there, and they offered a printmaking class, and they had mentioned, you know, we were going to be doing dry point and um, an introduction into screen printing, and so I had never done those, and by taking the class there, that was my first introduction, and I was actually able to bring back some of the things that I learned at the Art Institute of Boston into my senior year of high school, where I was kind of experiencing experimenting and exploring more with using 
wood carving tools more and also doing doing my own kind of DIY screen printing, which was interesting. But I, I did kind of have a, a little bit of a handle on some of those processes before I got to Pratt, which is then I got into, you know, etching and uh, lithography and learning some more of the tricks of the trade, I guess, and mm-hmm. like getting a, getting a much better understanding of how to actually make use of all the different materials and what just exactly what, you know, what printmaking could offer. So, yeah. And then I'm also always curious to know for people, particularly as you tell your story, you say that, you know, you found printmaking and you came to just know that this is, you're like, all right, this is it. This is what I'm going to do for my life. What do you think it was about printmaking that struck that chord with you that really made you feel like, yeah, okay, this is what I'm doing moving forward from now on? Well, I, I think that when I when I first got to art school, uh, my first year, there was the foundation year, and they really encouraged, you know, an exploration of everything. It was very uh, strongly rooted in drawing and painting and um, sculpture. And so that first year, I was kind of learning more about those those techniques. But I, I was finding that I was like needing process, like something more process based. I always liked kind of that you know, step by step, being able to just follow the wherever printmaking takes takes me next. And I, w- I wasn't getting necessarily that satisfaction out of uh, just drawing and painting. Mm. And so just being able to really work uh, with the process. I've always been a very process based, you know, like love making lists, like following the list, yeah, crossing yeah. it off, you know, all that kind of thing. <clears throat> and so I feel like for me, printmaking was able to, uh, you know, f- fill that desire that I had to, you know, in some ways it's predictable, but in other ways it's totally unpredictable and just kind of navigating that. Um, I always found to be much more intriguing and interesting than just, just, I mean, I love drawing and painting, but again, the printmaking, it was, for me, it was more exciting and more engaging. And that was something that I think I needed to keep my interest. That's interesting because I've, I've been thinking about how printmaking is quite process-based, right? This is something that we often talk about when we talk about the medium. But I've never heard anyone really make that connection before to like a process-based personality. And it's really something that I actually do see quite a bit in other people or even, you know, for instance, my, my husband, who's the editor, he's a printmaker, he's a lithographer. As I've gotten to know him over the years, I've discovered that, yeah, he is, we always say, like, he does good with direct directions. You know, he just wants, he's like, like, look, just tell me the things that need to be done. And then I'm in my comfort zone because I'm, you know, I'm confident in my capabilities to do those things. Um, exactly. Yeah. 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 And so, yeah, because it's sort of beyond even as an artistic practice, but even something yeah, innate in people where if they like, they're like, I like a list, I like a list of steps, and I like knowing that there's going to be an outcome on the other side. So exactly. Yeah. 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 yeah and I, uh, you know, again, I've just always, I'm, I'm a list maker. I, you know, love checking things off. And <laughs> I've just always kind of been, I, I think at first I was more interested when I got into printmaking, you know, definitely of the technical side of things. And I initially had thought that I wanted to pursue you know, only being a printer and printing for other people. Mm. But then I find that during my, uh, after I graduated, you know, I, I started traveling and seeing more of the world. And I realized that, you know, I could print for people and also still be an artist. And that's where, and I think at this point, I'm much more interested in making my own art than printing for other people. Mm. But it was kind of interesting to see that transition where, 
you know, you know, printmaking, I was, you know, it's this process space. I wanted to be a technician. Again, I wanted to, I wanted that list of things to do. And I wanted to, you know, someone to like, leave me alone. I'll, you know, do everything and get it all done. But then as I, again, kind of moved out of the school and academic life, realizing that that I wanted to pursue, you know, making my, I had my own ideas and thoughts that I wanted to create imagery for. And that's kind of, that's, that's where that's taken off here in Chicago. So, yeah. you know, that's been exciting and so far so good. <laughs> yeah. That's interesting. You should say that because I feel like a lot of the people I talk to who have worked as collaborative printers or contract printers, they kind of went the other way where they went to grad school and they were sort of, or, or undergrad and they were asked to, make their own work and they did it kind of just to get by and get through it. And then once they were on the other side, it was this relief of, okay, I never have to make my own work again. Now I can only focus on doing really what I love, which is this, this contract printing and the collaborative printing. And it's interesting that you went the other direction on it where you, as you've left school, you've had that interest grow into your own work. I'm just wondering if you know kind of what, accounts for that? Is it sort of not being in school gives you more of a a freedom to sort of make what you want without that that pressure to justify? Or is it just something where you are in your own life kind of more broadly? Yeah, no, I mean, I definitely think definitely getting out of that academic, you know, life and experience, which I mean, I had a really very great education at Pratt. And, you know, I met I made so many great connections there. And I'm still in contact with, you know, a lot of my professors and everything. But I think that a lot of times I was kind of felt a bit intimidated uh, by critiques. And, you know, I, uh, again, my work has been very, it's, um, you know, it's, it's very illustrative. And, and I was feeling that at the time that a lot of, a lot of the other students were making much, much more conceptual work. And so I kind of, I kind of felt like, oh, I don't like, I feel like I'm not doing this right. I mean, I, you know, some of some of this, a lot of the things I was doing at the time, like I was making just to make and, you know, just get those basic ideas out where I felt like some of the other students, it was a lot, again, a lot more conceptual, a lot more art speak. And I was like, I don't know if I really, if I'm really cut out for this. But then once I kind of had my own freedom to do what I wanted, I realized that, you know, what I'm the more illustrative and, you know, those graphic and that, that was, you know, that was okay to do too. And that's really what I wanted to do all along. And, you know, not so much all the conceptual stuff that everybody else was doing. <laughs> yeah, I was just having a conversation last night with some other local artists here. And we were talking about this idea of conceptual art. And basically, I was saying how, well, my background is in philosophy I studied my undergrad and I did a it was actually with a focus in aesthetics and so the actual engaging with the concepts or the abstract ideas of conceptual art I just had the you know the privilege of a training that I never felt that particularly intimidating because I was like oh well this is this feels like familiar water to me but I still remain much more drawn to the tangible in work. So mm-hmm. it's so I have this place where I'm saying, you know, it's not that I don't understand it. It's not that I feel like I need to like it to be smart. I just don't 
it just doesn't ring that bell in me. Like I, I just don't necessarily respond to it because I guess this is sort of a very, a very long winded uh, anecdote to bring it around to this idea of like conceptual art, particularly when it comes to printmaking is something we don't see very often. Printmaking seems to be in and of itself more communicative, more, as you say, illustrative. And I've always wondered a bit of a chicken in the egg kind of question with it in the sense of do people are people who are drawn to printmaking particularly interested in doing things a bit more tangible or is there something about the medium that makes people want to be more narrative uh, and figurative in the work I don't know if you've have thought about that one before but yeah yeah I mean especially because I've you know, kind of transitioned into mainly working with uh, woodcuts and screen prints. Um, mm-hmm. Again, those, I mean, those are two printmaking mediums that are made, you know, are, you can be, that that can be made for mass distribution and, you know, communicating and getting a message across. And, and I actually part-time work at, um, it's a design and illustration studio that has a screen printing shop. It's called Delicious Design League here in Chicago. And we do all handmade, hand-printed, screen printed gig posters, posters for movies, shows, packaging, design. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, I've really fallen in love too with like printing, printing the gig posters and really, you know, creating and printing art that's made for music and dance and theater. And so for me, that's, and that's all about imagery and right. getting information, getting information across. And so that's where I feel like I've really latched on to that. And that's, I can see that coming through in my own work and inspiration, again, from working at the design studio and kind of, again, learning about color mixing and composition and getting to see a lot of different illustrators and designers making things. Um, And although they're, you know, they're not the ones printing them, it it gives me inspiration for, for my work in order, like how to design things and, you know, get, get ideas across on paper. And then we're making these designs come to life and, you know, getting them out to all the shows and, movies and concerts and everything. And so, yeah, that's also been very informative. And also it's taught me a lot more about being a technician as well with my own work. And so I also, so I give that a lot of credit. You know, I haven't actually been working there for a minute now because of COVID and everything. And there aren't any gig posters to print since there aren't any, you know, there aren't any shows or anything going on. But uh, yeah, for the past like two or three years, I've been working over there. So that's, you know, that's been great too. Yeah. What about at um, Hoofprint as well? Because that's more contract printing or collaborative printing that you do there? Yeah. So uh, so Hoofprint's run by Liz and Gabe and they're, you know, they're here in Chicago as well. They are actually the first two people that I really ever met in Chicago. I met them back in 2015. I was on a road trip cross country because I left Pratt and I, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I didn't know where I wanted to go, but I kind of had a feeling that I wanted to leave New York. And so uh, that fall in 2015, I went on a road trip and I I went to, I think it was about, it was like 25 or 26 states and Mm -hmm. visited maybe like 34, 35 print shops. And again, you know, I was looking for jobs. I was looking for art opportunities. I was looking to see if I could see myself in a, you know, a, a certain city or art community. And you know, I had been on the road trip for maybe it was probably about 40 something days before I got to Chicago. And, and yeah, and then I, I just happened to 
Google Chicago printmaking and uh, Hoofprint Workshop was one of the first uh, pages to come up. And I, you know, I just kind of sent them an email and I was like, hey, could I come check out your studio? And Liz and Gabe were like, yeah, sure. We're having an open house. Come on by. And honestly, I met them and it, we just kind of clicked. And I ended up staying here uh, for, it was like two and a half weeks when they were having um, they were printing a big woodcut show. And again, yeah, they, they had invited artists to create these uh, 40 by 60 woodcuts. And then they were doing all the printing for the artists. And they asked me if I wanted to make one. And I was like, yeah, sure. <laughs> and that's kind of how it all started. And to be honest, I, I never left. I, I got here and I spent those two and a half weeks here. I went back to New York for a job interview and decided I didn't want to be in New York anymore. And I came right back out and that's when I started working at Hoofprint. So that was the first studio um, out here that I started working at. And yeah, they do, I mean, they do everything. Woodcut, litho, etching, screen printing. And yeah, they do anything from contract-based stuff where people will ask them, hey, can you, you know, print this etching for me or print this litho or can you help me make a litho? Um, but they also do publishing where, where they will invite artists, painters, printmakers, sculptors to come in and um you know they the artist comes in with the idea and then Liz and Gabe make it make it happen and so you know I've I've helped print editions for woodcuts and they recently got a, a big auto press for screen printing so we've been doing doing some stuff like that recently printing some posters for some of the protests and everything going on out mm -hmm. here in Chicago and so that's been yeah really powerful and yeah, that again, they I give them a lot of credit for my for my start here in Chicago. And they really, you know, took me in and yeah, inspired me to make art. And they've taught me a lot just by, you know, just by doing out here. And so I go over there too, from time to time to help out kind of like as an as needed basis. And mm -hmm. yeah, they've got a beautiful studio down in McKinley Park. They got they got everything going on over there. Definitely. So yeah, they're, they're, they're really awesome. And you might, yeah, I think you probably met them at SGC and stuff before. Mm -hmm. And because, yeah, we usually travel to a lot of those conferences and art fairs together just because, I mean, we live two miles from each other. So it's, <laughs> and we're, we're really good, you know, really good friends and, and co workers. So, yeah, we do do a lot of traveling and stuff and work on projects. And again, Liz was the one that got me into ceramics, which is one of my newer mm. ventures that I've been exploring. And it's, it's been pretty difficult, but it's it's a lot of fun. So yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, with Hoofprint, there are people who have been having on my list to have on the podcast for a while too, because they seem to have started a you know print studio in a major city in the states within recent memory that's thriving. And I feel like there's that is such the dream for so many people. And I'd, so I'd love to at one point talk to them about how did they go about doing that? Because I think that being able to build one's life around printmaking in this way is truly something that many of us aspire to do. And it's beautiful when you can see like people making it work. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, they are they are fully in it. I mean, that's that that's the, their whole life. They, they live, breathe, eat printmaking. Um, for a while, their first studio was pretty cool. It was at, uh, an old funeral home. Um, and they actually, they lived in the funeral home on like the second floor and then had the print shop on the first floor. And so that was when I first moved here, I actually lived in the funeral home with them <laughs> for about, for about three months. So that was kind of, 
interesting. But yeah, no, they're yeah, they're killing it and they're yeah, as you said, they're thriving. So it's Amazing. it's really exciting. Yeah, it's really exciting to be a part of that and they're just so inspiring and to have such supportive friends out here and, and artists and it's really cool. And how haunted was the funeral home? You know, I I never saw anything or heard anything, uh-huh. but people say that they have and and so I don't know. I don't I can't say if it's haunted or not, but it might I mean it might be. <laughs> it was definitely a very interesting space. Um and there were definitely some people too that would uh, at the time they were also a gallery, so people would come in off the street and they'd, they'd be a little bit nervous and we'd be like it's okay like nothing it's really not that weird like come on in (laughs) but uh but yeah there definitely were some people that were a little creeped out by the fact that it was in a funeral home um yeah so yeah I feel like that's um that sounds really fun though like having that experience of moving to a new city and connecting with people and getting to live in a funeral home and living and breathing printmaking uh, it sounds like it's going to be a good chapter in your memoirs. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like, yeah, that I just got thrown into it. And I, I mean, that was really good, though. I, I think, you know, I really needed that because, again, I was feeling kind of lost, kind of undecisive about where I wanted to go, what I wanted to do, if I was really going to go all in and, and, you know, do this printmaking thing. And when I got here, um, that was really like, convinced me that, you know, look, look, you know, these people are about, about my age, a little, you know, a little bit older and they're, they're doing, they're doing the thing. And I was like, I want to be like that. I want to do that. How can I get there? And it's like, I just, I kind of latched on and luckily they, they let me latch on and I just kind of never left and just learning so much from, from them and being able to connect with, again, people that have similar interests and, um, are doing something that I have a lot of interest and in, uh, admiration for. And so just seeing that it's possible and you can make it work. Um, and again, just having a place to make my art right out of college was that had been a big thing that I had worried about, like, where am I going to make my art? Because again, you can, you know, you can make woodcuts at the kitchen table, but it's much easier and, you know, a lot, a lot better of having a studio and, Again, that was my, I got access to the studio and I was able to continue making my work and and not take a big break from things where, so it wasn't so hard to get back into it after, I know sometimes it's hard if you don't have access to a studio or or time. And yeah, I think that that was, that was the key was that I just had to keep going, like not stop. And, and that's helped me kind of get to where I am now. So yeah, I know a lot of people can struggle with that losing the momentum after college and particularly after something like a BFA or an MFA show where they've put so much energy into this final event, this ultimate expression of these years of work. And then if you can't find a place to continue to work, there's some people who are just say, well, and then I never printed again, you know, it's just something really right, right. kind of dramatic like that. It can definitely happen if you don't, if you can't keep up that, that effort, because it, it is, it is a lot, you know, it, yeah. it is. I'd say speaking of your own work, I'd love to chat a bit more about it specifically, uh, because you use a lot of animals in your art, animals as metaphor, I feel like, which is, of course, one of the tales as old as time in visual culture and one that I I just love. I went to graduate school with the, 
you know, really pretty much only knowing I wanted to study animals and art. And that was basically all I knew. And it wasn't until I got to graduate school, they're like, that's not actually a topic. You know, they're like, yeah, you, need yeah. to, you have to get a little more specific than that. I was like, oh, okay, okay, yeah. Um, but it's something that I always love. I'm always drawn to images of animals. And I would love to hear your story of how they became a vehicle for you and why they come up sort of so regularly in your art. Again, growing up, I had always had an interest in art and in science and specifically in animal science. And I just found myself consistently drawing animals. I mean, mm. ever since a very young age, and it just had always been a theme in my work. And again, I, I think like in, especially in college, I was trying to figure out why it was a theme and why I was, I felt this need to create imagery of, uh, of animals. And I, and again, I, I got into uh, reading I and mean, in high school started, we read like some, some of the Shakespearean tragedies and comedies. And I kind of didn't really understand it then and I had really had no interest but I came back to it later on uh, a few years later and that's when I started uh, getting really into Shakespeare's birds and how the birds in a lot of his mm. plays uh, again were metaphors or you know harbingers of, of death or uh, you know um, forsaken love and stuff like that which I again I, I had no idea about you know years prior when I was reading the the plays and everything but I started making these woodcuts of Shakespearean birds and, and the way that they had been described or in some of the instances that they um, had been used in, in his plays, I started kind of making illustrations of those. And uh, it resulted in, I had made this big, uh, it was a cut paper, I guess you could say it was a mural, cut paper mural that had been my thesis show. And it was about um, the European starlings coming in and being an invasive species mm. and uh, how they had destroyed, you know, the natural habitat and especially uh, New York's birds. Um, it was like bluebird and as well as uh, the woodpecker. And because I, I had become interested in that in New York because I originally there was a man from Europe who wanted to introduce I can't remember his name right now, but he wanted to introduce all the birds from Shakespeare's plays into the United States. Uh-huh. But a lot, of, a lot of these, a lot of these birds are not native to the United States. <laughs> so uh, when he brought them over, some of them died off. They, you know, they could not survive, and and they, he let them go in Central Park, and they were like, "What are we supposed to do here?" But right. <laughs> in, in particular, the European starling thrived. I mean, it it just started you know, they just multiplied like crazy. And I mean, now you see them, they're out here in Chicago. I mean, they're, they're everywhere. And yeah, they're, I mean, they're an invasive species. They're, they're a mean, like they're a nasty bird, but that's kind of, again, and I, I, so I made this whole mural about that, but I just find these animals, you know, they can be, I use them as metaphors in my daily life, but also I think that they are, you know, they can be used as vehicles that are, you know, on a national, personal, global level that people, people can connect to. And, you know, I feel like a lot of people feel sometimes more connected to a certain animal or, or, you know, than certain, than people sometimes. And I, and I feel like that was my way of getting Mm. some of the, you know, some of the positive and negative things about, you know, our, ourself and our, you know, human conduct and interactions. You know, I, I've decided to express them through, 
animals and animal interactions. And after the Shakespeare's birds, I got really into Aesop's fables, which again, these were stories, many that I had read as a younger child, but did not really, you know, look, look that much more into it or think about it more on like a personal or metaphorical level. I kind of just took it, took them as they were, you know, the tortoise and the hare and everything. But, but as I started studying them, you know, I realized that a lot of these themes and these stories that had been, you know, written hundreds and hundreds of years ago, you're seeing history again, repeat itself in interactions again on like from person to person, as well as, uh, you know, globally and nationally. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I think, you know, the times can change, but a lot of time, you know, our innate human nature stays the same and, and just watching, you know, again, just as I said, history repeat itself and things that people were, you know, writing stories about hundreds and hundreds of years ago. Again, it's not the same story, but I think that there are similar outcomes or similar interactions and that, again, like animals have, you know, instinct and, and they have patterns and, Again, humans, I think, are the same, whether or not we want to admit it, I think, you know, we kind of function in the same way that uh, there are certain things that we tend to lean towards doing and, and repeating and, you know, whether they're good habits or bad habits. And I just have used some of that stuff that I've seen in, you know, in, in real life and kind of applied it to my art. But instead of making figurative images of people, they're, you know, different animals and birds and all sorts of nature and, you know, again, using flowers, flowers have been used as symbols and metaphors for, you know, emotions, all like, you know, love, hate, fear, all that kind of thing. And so, you, you know, combining animals with the fauna and flora kind of, that's really where a lot of my inspiration comes, mm -hmm. comes from. And that's what I've been for the past few years. That's what I've been, that's been my main focus. So yeah, because there is such a tradition of people being willing to empathize with animals before other humans. Mm -hmm. And I'm always curious if that's why animals as metaphor, as I said, it just goes back so, so far, and not just even in visual culture, but in stories and fables, like you said, like Aesop's fables. And you know, it, it reminds me of that, that classic cliche of people watching an action movie or some kind of drama and there's people being blown up horribly all over the place, but everyone gets upset when the dog dies. Yep. You know? mm -hmm. yep. <laughs> and, um, and that there's something about, you know, if you, if you tell a story and you're saying it's happening to people, you'll get less of a response sometimes than when it's happening to animals. Which, of mm -hmm. course, is truly ironic given how horribly we treat animals um, in actual life. But like, that's right. exactly. sort of a, another story altogether. But um, at least something about their placement in narrative, we just we, we love them in that. And it works really, really well. And I also love that tradition of using them to say things that maybe you wouldn't normally be able to say in the sense of like, ah, you know, Mr. Tax Collector, this story is not about you. It's about a fox. Look, you're, right. there's not even right. humans in it, you know, this kind of thing as well. So I just, yeah, I, I, I love seeing that that tradition still lives on and that, yeah, and that people like yourself are using it in these really beautiful, effective ways. I was also noticing that you've been doing sort of pairings of 
flowers and animals um, in some of the work as well. Like it looks like a scorpion and a peony maybe is one that I'm Mm -hmm. particularly having in mind. And so can you speak to that mixed symbolism or that that pairing of iconography and and why you're going about that and what you're achieving with it? Last summer, I, I had a show it was called Semi Sweet, where again it was pairing flowers with, with uh, you know frogs, the scorpion, snakes, kind of creatures that um, you know I think that a lot of times people think of pests or you know kind of gross or dirty, but I, it was comparing the t- two of them and you know I feel like it was kind of casting these creatures in a more in a more positive light and like maybe they're maybe they're not so gross after all I mean like you know and I just just experimenting again with it's interesting too to see people's reactions where you know again I think with the ceramics where again there's like a toad or a rat on it but that you know but at the same time something that they usually think is gross they find beautiful and I sometimes I think they're surprised by it. they're like wow I really like I really like that I mean and it's I just I think it's interesting to watch you know their reactions mm-hmm. and again kind of I feel like a big part of my work again with the stories and um, a lot of the stories that I depict are or fables are a lot of them are violent or a lot of them are pretty pretty negative or have um, you know outcomes where the animal does end up dying but I'm kind of using this the imagery and I think the colors and composition to create images that are like at first at visual you know first visual glance they're very appealing and you know you could say they're pretty or you know attractive but then I think the more you read into it there's that second layer where it's like oh you know there's the you know the fox and the rooster or the wolf and the crane and mm-hmm. you know then you're like what so what happens though to the to the rooster afterwards yeah. or, you know what happens what happens with this, you know, the crane that's sticking its beak into the, uh, you know, the wolf's throat. And again, I, it's just having that, I, I like to draw people in with that first, like visual, you know, like that's attractive, that's pretty, but then, you know, the more people look at it, the more layers they're able to peel back and see, you know, there's a lot more than just a pretty picture there. There, you know, there's a story being told and, and, Again, I think the things that I've chosen to make art about, I think are important. And so for me, that's my way of kind of getting getting my foot in the door and, and have, you know, having people focus and look at things that maybe otherwise would be overlooked because they're not always nice or they're not always pretty. But portraying them in a certain, you know, and visually as, you know, attractive, I think is able to draw more people in. And, and I've been able to connect with a lot of people over over the you know, that imagery and stuff. Mm-hmm. So, and you also are a, a pet owner yourself. Is that correct? You've got, I am. Yep. Mm-hmm. You've got a Holland lop, a little bird I, told me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I got, uh, his name is blue. He's, um, yeah, he's, he's a lop eared rabbit. So he's actually, he's actually all black and he's got two big floppy ears. He's very sweet. Again, I have a, like, I just feel a connection to rabbits and everything. So I've had a couple pet rabbits and, um, they show up a lot in my work too. Mm-hmm. And again, it was recently inspiration. He was inspiration um, as well as the ceramics to create a new relief ink color with speedball that I've been yeah. working on. I wanted to ask you about that. Cause I think that that 
I'm really curious about what goes into like developing it and then even maybe some of the technical stuff if you can if you can answer that if it's not proprietary um yeah, just yeah. the actual yeah developing a new ink and a new color is really really exciting so I think it started last it was last winter where Speedball contacted me and they were talking about how they wanted to create this group called the Speedball Print Posse. And um, they asked if I want to be a part of it. And, you know, Carlos Hernandez and Bill Fick were kind of leading the two, you know, two leading artists and then Martin Mazzora and uh, Killjoy and just, you know, um, Dylan Goldberger and a lot of, a lot of other, I think there's about 15 of us. And part of the group was to, again, kind of, uh, you know, promote printmaking and, and they were had released their line of professional relief inks a couple years prior, and so they have had you know the same. I think it was you know the same six seven colors out for a while. And uh, Bill Fick had helped them develop the super graphic black, and they wanted to continue that project by asking us to you know come up with a color. It could be screen printing ink, relief ink. A couple people made their own uh, paper colors, and. So at first, I, you know, I was really excited, but then I was like, oh my God, there's so many colors. How am I going to pick, you know, just <laughs> like one color? And, you know, I thought about it for a while and, and I was like, I gotta, I gotta make something good. Like what should, what should I make? And I had just started at the time doing a lot or starting to do a lot of ceramics. And I was using the speedball, it was like speedball medium blue underglaze and it, it fires as this pretty bright, vibrant blue. And I was you know, making these carvings that are very similar to my wood carvings on the clay. And I, I just wanted to connect my clay practice with my uh, printmaking practice. And I was like, I'm going to create an ink color that is uh, inspired by the color blue that the underglaze fires. And my plan is to create a body of work that, you know, uses the, I'm going to have the ceramics and the speedball underglaze, and then also create a series of prints that, you know, reflect or pair with the ceramics that are printed in the Hop and Holland blue ink that I made with Speedball. Mm-hmm. Um, so once I decided on the blue, I picked out a Pantone color that uh, matched closest and I sent it over to Speedball and they, and I, you know, told them about my idea and they were, they were really into it. And so then their, you know, chemist at over there and the labs and everything made up some samples and we went back and forth a little bit and, you know, I was like, oh, maybe a little bit more white or a little bit more black there. And then, yeah, they sent me a sample and it was like a dead on match to to the ceramics that I was making. And I was like, OK, this is perfect. And then, yeah, from there. So they did most of the like they consulted me about colors and everything, but they were doing the actual chemistry and yeah, like the yeah. color mixing behind it and, you know, making, you know, doing getting the right measurements of everything to make that you know, same consistent color over and over and over again. So from there, once I approved the color, we all, everyone who made inks and everything made their own, designed their own labels that would be printed on the cans. Um, And so I, again, um, you know, made a little, little bunny carving that Mm -hmm. is again, inspired by my rabbit. And, you know, another really hard part about this, I was like, oh, I got to come up with a name. And (laughs) So the connection, so the connection there as well as that. So yeah, my rabbit, his name is Blue, and he's a Holland Lop. Um, but it's also the color 
uh, is inspired by Delft pottery uh, from the Netherlands and from Holland. And so, again, like a lot of my ceramics started out with me looking at the, you know, Delft ware. And when I actually went to Amsterdam a few years ago, I I just love Delft pottery. And um, so that kind of stuck with me when I started making ceramics. So, again, the color is kind of an, an ode to Delft ware pottery in, in Holland and then drawn into brought back into my pet rabbit and he's a Holland lop and his name is blue. And so it kind of all fell into place there. It but, sounds uh, like, yeah, like all the stars aligned. Yeah. Yeah. And so I was like, okay, like once, you know, it was took a while to, to come up with and to, um, you know, really, you know, end up seeing the final color and everything. And like then, but it, it felt great once I was able to kind of connect everything and I felt good about it. And uh, recently speedball, they ended up, you know, they, they've canned all the inks and everything. So they sent me some inks and it's, it's awesome. So I'm mm. super excited to be a part of that. And again, Speedball has been super supportive. And, uh, you know, we've been working, I've been working mainly with um, with Kelly Braun over there. And she's she's great. And yeah, as a, Speedball makes, makes awesome stuff. And I'm just very honored that they, you know, asked me to be a part of this project. Because yeah. it, was, it was a lot of fun and it's super cool. And, you know, I was able to put my love for uh rabbits on an ink can so (laughs) (laughs) well I (laughs) I yeah I also have a a very deep love for rabbits um and so speedball relatively recently became like really the first sort of on-air sponsor of pine copper lime and one of the things that we were talking about when I was talking about with Kelly and she was saying I was saying, yeah, like, this is great. And we're really excited for your support. So what are you excited about over at Speedball right now? And she was like, she's like, oh, our print posse inks for sure. And I looked through and I saw one called Hop in Holland. And I was like, oh, my gosh, that's like, (laughs) (laughs) I'm so glad this exists in the world. Yeah, because I thank you. (laughs) Yeah, I grew up with a Holland Lop as a pet. um, And (laughs) they really are like people do not understand, I think, how much personality they have and how much... I, I would say, at least from the rabbits that I've lived with, that they, they're they more like dogs than cats. Mm-hmm. And, you know, yeah. in the sense that they're excited to see you, they want to greet you when they come home, they want to be around you. They don't have that aloofness of a cat, which, of course, yep. is, you know, one of the many reasons people love domestic cats. But it's, um, yeah, you know, they, they, rabbits really have that social engagement. And I think because they're social creatures, you know, like Definitely. they, they have yeah. that, you know, they live in big communities in the wild, the way wild dogs or wild canines do. And so they definitely have that have opinions and want to be around you and they're just it's just great and so it's wonderful that blue your holland rabbit can also mm-hmm. inspire a great ink have you done an image yeah. of him in in the hop in holland yet you know an actual uh, addition to print i have not yet but that is definitely on on one of my many lists to do like yeah. he will definitely be yeah be making an appearance but yeah no because as you said yeah i mean he, they're super sweet and you know whenever when I get up in the morning, he starts running circles around my feet yeah. and like, you know, they, they definitely do have, you know, very strong personalities and they're playful and fun and sweet. And, um, yeah, I feel like it's, it's like one of those pets. I, a lot of people, I don't think know a whole lot about, but again, I mean, they're common enough where, yeah, I mean, I think that they make a good, good pet just as like a dog or a cat. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he's, 
always been kind of my muse over here for my art. So it's been yeah. nice having having him around and, you know, he's super cute. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, they definitely they also have that added benefit of just being adorable 24 seven, mm-hmm. which is really and I nice. just the lop ears just yeah, perfect. Yeah, yeah. The, the kind of the bounce that they do. Yep. Yeah, when they're excited about something, it's uh, it's they're pretty great, pretty great pets. Yeah. Everyone, go rescue a rabbit from your local shelter. You will not, you will definitely not regret it. No, no, <laughs> not at all. <laughs> With some of the time that we have left, I do want to make sure we get a chance to talk about your ceramic work a little bit, because it's really interesting in the sense that it's visually similar to your relief carving, you know, and that, of course, the actual ways in which an image can be created, you know, through a reductive process in ceramics has physical similarities to relief carving and printmaking. So I guess I'd love to hear about that connection. But also, I feel like ceramics is the community that printmaking gets compared to the most, you know, where we'll say, oh, we're, we're really great. We have a workshop setting. We have our conferences. We're, we're this great community. And then every once in a while people are like, yeah, I don't know, maybe, maybe ceramics has that too. I'm not sure. Yeah. And so I, yeah. I, I want you to be, you know, our, our mole on the inside of the ceramics world to answer the question, do they have as much fun as us? <laughs> hmm, that's a hard question. Um, I think printmakers have have a lot of fun, but <laughs> but yeah, I mean, the ceramics community here has been super uh, super welcoming. And again, like uh, Liz from Hoofprint, she started getting into ceramics a couple years ago, and so that kind of one day she she threw a cup and she was like, "Here, carve it," and I was like, "What? Wait, what?" <laughs> and then I just kind of sat down and started. Uh, you know, learning how to use the tools and everything. And, and I was like, you know what, this is, again, it's a lot, but at least the carving process is a lot kind of like the woodcut carving process or line of cut. Uh, it's actually a bit easier because the clay is a lot softer. And so for me, it was kind of, it started to become kind of a therapeutic outlet. Again, I, you know, I love carving wood and everything, but I, I had had a show recently. And again, I, you know, after the show, it was kind of, I felt like in a little bit of a post-show slump and I was like, I don't know what to do. I'm kind of, kind of bored of making prints right now. Like I want to do something else. And it just ceramics was there. And I was like, all right, like I'm going to, I'm going to give this a shot. And it just started off as me, you know, just do something, something new to do and to, to work on and learn about. And it was just, I think I really needed that because I, again, had been doing the same Mm -hmm. thing for, for years. And uh, it was it was just a much needed challenge, and and again, I had just gotten so locked into that printmaking process. Again, like, you know, just check off the list, like this, and then this, and then that, and you know, I was just kind of getting a little bit lost in the process and not having as much fun with it. And I, I think ceramics kind of kind of shook that up a bit. And it was just interesting to for me to try to get like again my woodcut imagery onto you know a round object and yeah. you know it's just experimenting with you know again like the reductive process on clay and I, I I had taken one clay class in college and that was about it and I hadn't touched it since so I really like you know knew nothing about clay and and I'm still I'm learning still learning so much but um, yeah it's been like a little over a year now with just again, making, you know, making function, these functional objects. And I've found that people 
respond really well to them. And, you know, it's, they're also very tactile, like everything right. is carved. And, and even when you glaze it, like the, the imagery, I mean, you can run your fingers over it, the kind of like squiggly line work around everything, you know, people are like, Oh, it just like feels good to hold, to like hold that in mm -hmm. your hand and, and to like pick up and look at. And, um, you know, again, seeing my art on a 3d object, uh, has been, pretty cool and informative for me to learn more about my art practice and how, yeah, again, I can translate these 2D images and thoughts and, you know, ideas onto a 3D, you know, tactile form. So I've just been having a lot of fun with it. And yeah, I got a, I got a batch of about, uh, looks like 12 or so of new cups coming up. So I'm excited. Uh, just, you know, again, been experimenting with under glazes. And again, I've, with the ceramics as well as printmaking, there's a lot of the unknown. I mean, you mm. can go through the process, but there's always something that comes up that you, you know, you weren't expecting. And I'm finding that this to be the same way with ceramics where, you know, something fires a little bit weird or the glaze is a totally different color than you thought it was going to be, or, you know, just as far, far as like glaze application and, and the color changing and, you know, spending 10 hours on something and then having it crack in the kiln, like having you right. know, just un unexpected things mm -hmm. where, you know, I thought I'd be used to it with printmaking, but, you know, <laughs> but no, nope, there's always, always something. Yeah. And I think that there's in that moment of reveal too. you know, pulling the yes. paper back or yep. opening the kiln. I had never thought of that before, but that it also has that drama, which Definitely. is, yeah, such a, an emotionally satisfying aspect of the creation. Yeah, you know, I, I, I'll find myself, you know, getting getting a little nervous when I'm like, okay, it's, you know, it's ready to go pick it up, like just wondering what it looks like, you know, did it come out okay? And yeah, as you said, like the big reveal and, uh, you know, sometimes, usually it's pretty good, but sometimes you're like, mm -hmm. oh man, that's a bummer. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, no, it's it's just something that I'm definitely going to continue using in my practice. And, you know, now I'm really, I'm looking forward to using my new ink to, you know, kind of almost have a conversation with like having my print work, have a conversation with my ceramic work and what that's going to look like. And so, yeah, for me, that's really exciting. Excellent. Beautiful. Well, before we sort of wrap things up here, I'd love it if you could let us know anything on the horizon that you're looking forward to that people should be looking for and then also where can people find you and see your prints and see your ceramics and learn about your practice more so i did have some some shows and fairs coming up this year but they did all get canceled yeah um or post postponed but yeah. uh, it's not determined yet, but I believe sometime um, in either summer or fall 2021, I will be having a show at the Beverly Arts Center here in Chicago. Um, so I'm really looking forward to that. And yeah, but hopefully some of this stuff is going to get rescheduled. Um, you know, I just got to keep keep making and, yeah. you know, it'll it'll get out there. But um, but yeah, so the show at the Beverly Arts Center and then hopefully I'll be going to SGC next spring as well. If that if that's, you know, going to happen this year or next year. And then as far as social media, I'm on uh, Instagram as Anna Hasseltine, just my full name. You search me, a little little goldfish comes up. And my website is AnnaHasseltine.com. And yeah, there's more, you know, my bio's on there and some, some older ceramic and print work and kind of you can see where 
how like the progression from my older work to some of my newer work and so that's that's all up there and oh yeah of course on Instagram I post pretty frequently and that's probably the best place to see my most recent ceramics and prints and everything and that's where I post the most so check out Instagram (laughs) excellent I'll put links in the show notes to all of that. And yes, thank you for for joining me this evening. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, it was just great to talk prints and animals. And I'll be in touch as we move forward to release this. But it's really been great to get to know you a bit more. And I hope we can connect you know, probably SGC 2021, fingers crossed. I hope so. Things I will hope be so. a little less chaotic by then. And yes, yeah. Um, yeah, that would be really great. So thank you, Anna. Yeah, no, thank you so much for inviting me to be on the podcast. And it was it was great speaking with you. And yeah, I'm really glad we could talk about all, all this good stuff. Excellent. Thanks again. I'll be in touch. All right. Sounds good. Thank you again. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Well, that's our show for this week. Join me again next week when my guest will be LaToya Hobbs. LaToya is a professor at the Maryland Institute College of Art, whose portraits explore the intersections of race, beauty, and identity concerning women of African descent. You won't want to miss it. This episode, like all episodes, was written and produced by me, Miranda Metcalf, with editing help from Timothy Pauschak and music by Joshua Weber. I'll see you next week.